Testing. Testing. Are we recording? Okay, I think we are. Let's talk about some things that matter. Let's take some time to drift and hum. Hi friends and welcome to the Drift and Hum podcast. I'm Robert Martichenko, author of Drift and Hum, the great Canadian-American novel. We have a great show for you today as we will explore the power of story and personal narrative and how they both impact our lives. To do this, we have a fantastic interview with Dr. Mary June Wright from beautiful Chafee's Lock, Ontario, Canada. Dr. Wright will share her story of her PhD thesis titled, My Mother, My Teacher, A Narrative Inquiry into the Relationship of Mother as Teacher. In addition to our interview, there may be a story, some music, and possibly a poem along the way. So settle in wherever you are, get comfortable with your favorite drink, and let's take some time to talk about stories that matter. Let's take some time to drift and hum. For those that have known me for a long time, they know that school was not easy for me. In fact, I remember when I finally graduated from high school back in the mid-1980s, my sister Mary Lynn said, I won't believe it until I see him walk across the platform. So, it's nice now, being in my 50s with two daughters who work hard and are successful at school, that I can reminisce about myself as a young person and student. That is, I look back in time, my now perspective, and I examine the story of myself relative to my school experience. I'm not sure I would advocate this for everyone, especially if you knew it was a bit of a train wreck. But in the spirit of narrative, let me take you on a journey. No doubt some of you will identify with my reflections. Here's a quick history of my school career. Kindergarten to grade 5 was at École Saint-Jean in Timmins, Ontario, Canada. École Saint-Jean was a French Catholic elementary school even though I was an English-speaking Protestant at home. My parents wanted me to be bilingual. After my father's death when I was eight years old, my family moves started. By the time the dust settled on my formal school experiences, I attended two middle schools, five high schools, and four universities. All of this resulted in, by the time I was 37, a bachelor's degree in mathematics and an MBA in finance. Now don't be too impressed as the journey was absolutely chaotic. Then again, considering the absolute chaos of the journey, perhaps we should be impressed. I guess it depends on how we frame the narrative. Narrative depends on your point of view, that is, how you choose to look at or frame a story. The five high schools I referenced were quite the scene. While my memory may be a bit fuzzy, I'm pretty sure I was asked to leave a couple of them, and I'm pretty sure I left a couple of them on my own. It's not that I was a bad kid. Truth be told, I mostly struggled with actually finding the school. Every day I would head out in the morning towards school, but for some reason would be diverted between home and the morning bell. This was my real problem. I simply did not want to be in school. And unlike a lot of other kids who felt the same way, I seemed to have the misguided nerve to actually veer off and do something different with my day. To be brutally honest, I was truant. Just to prove the point, 
I remember in grade 12, two teachers from Rideau High School in Elgin, Ontario tried to help me by having a board professional come down from the local board office to meet with me and offer guidance. The two teachers were Mark Timpany, my gym teacher, and Ron Dobson, the school guidance counselor. So the meeting was set. The board professional would drive over an hour to our rural high school to meet with me and analyze me in an attempt to ascertain why I never showed up at school. The day of the meeting, I didn't show up. I didn't show up for the meeting about why I didn't show up for school. Ron Dobson, the guidance counselor, was not happy with me. However, in hindsight, I am not sure why we were surprised. Let's face it, I had problems showing up to school. Remind me later to close the loop on the story with Mark Timpany and Ron Dobson. This particular story is one of my rearview mirror reflections, one of my hitchhiker go-tos. You know, where the hitchhiker in your head takes you back in time and says, What the heck were you thinking, man? This is because the hitchhiker only lives in one time zone, which is the past. He's sitting in the car, and every time you try to go ahead on a new road or go around a corner... He pushes the rearview mirror right into your face. It's his favorite and only move. He pushes the rearview mirror right into your face so all you can see is what's behind you. The road up ahead is no longer visible. Where you are at that exact moment is no longer visible. Even though the rearview mirror is small and the windshield is huge, only what's in the past is within your sight. Meanwhile, while he's holding the rearview mirror in your face, he's jamming you with insults. You're trying to make it around the corner, get down the road a bit, and the hitchhiker is jamming you with criticisms and abuses. His voice is piercing and dissonant. It hurts to hear it. It's a rude ringing in your ears that won't go away. What the heck were you thinking, man? Now, like many adults in their 50s, I do spend some time thinking about the hitchhiker's question. What were you thinking, man? And here's the irony. After years of trying to answer the question... The best I can come up with is, I was thinking I just didn't want to go to school that day. I know, I get it. This is not very helpful or insightful. Now, I do want you to know one thing relative to what you may be thinking. Was I a lazy kid? The answer to that is no. In fact, I recall a statement my childhood friend once said, many of us seem to have an overabundance of unproductive energy. In my case, the overabundance of unproductive energy was driven by an overabundance of unproductive enthusiasm, and school did not support my enthusiasm. What was driving this enthusiasm? To answer that, we need to go back and examine an interesting point of my high school career. This is the point that even though I was not showing up for school, I did manage to read a select few books assigned to my English classes. That is, even though I was not showing up, was not taking the tests, there were a few books and one poem that I did read on my own time. I studied the poem The Cremation of Sam McGee by Robert Service, and I read the books Catcher in the Rye, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and Where the Red Fern Grows. If you know these stories, you will see a common theme. Each protagonist is on some soul-searching journey, a life adventure, a trip through the mountains or across the city, searching for gold or the equivalents. They are looking for meaning, trying to fill a void that exists in their soul. And I am very certain they weren't sitting in school staring at a blackboard. And so, as I look back three decades, I realized I had some Huck Finn juice in my veins. I wanted to be on my homemade raft floating down the Mississippi, 
I wanted a perpetual adventure, people, places, and events. Unfortunately, this sounds more romantic than it was in reality. While rafts and rivers did play into it a few times, most days as a truant were spent driving around back roads, sitting around campfires in the bush, or fishing on a lake, and generally with a few bottles of beer. You know what? Maybe we were Huckfin in our own way, considering what resources we had available at the time. The key point is the feeling of wanting to be on an adventure. The feeling that there is something out there calling you. The feeling that your soul is searching. Searching for something that feels so close, it must be just around the next corner. In many respects, this feeling never left me. I recall a memory from when I was 26 and finally getting my bachelor's degree. At this point, I was mature enough to know that I needed an education and a career, so I forced myself to show up and finish. It was not academically stellar, but completion was achieved. How I ended up with a degree in pure mathematics is still an unsolved family mystery. Anyway, I have a vivid memory, and this is my reflection on that memory. I was in math class at the University of Windsor in Windsor, Ontario. This particular classroom had a row of windows on the left side that faced out with a view of the Ambassador Bridge. The Ambassador Bridge is a large suspension bridge that connects Detroit, Michigan with Windsor, Ontario. It is one of, if not the busiest international border crossings in North America. My classroom was literally right behind the Canadian end of the bridge, and so, class after class, I would take a chair hugging the window and I would watch the cars and trucks moving continuously across the bridge. I remember the feeling that each vehicle represented a story, a narrative, and I had the feeling that each vehicle was on an adventure. This produced in me a powerful feeling of restlessness, sensing and knowing that the world is out there calling me. The bridge was a conduit to all things possible, the starting point of some amazing road trip. I still have these feelings and I believe it's a good thing. I am a reflector. That is, I have become a life learner and to be a learner means to reflect. Although, I allow the hitchhiker in my mind to have too much power over me at times. The hitchhiker likes me to mull over and sometimes regret past decisions so he can ruin the future by using the present to think about the past, and always the perceived negative past at that. And one of these past events for me is the story of not showing up to the meeting that was set for me to try to understand why I did not show up for school. I carried this with me for decades, always wishing I could apologize to my two teachers, Mark Timpany and Ron Dobson. Now, I'm smart enough to know that brewing over past events is senseless, so after 30 years of senseless brewing, I decided to take action. A few years ago, I contacted the school and inquired about Mark and Ron. I found out that Mark had passed away very young from cancer. He leaves behind a legacy of sport, fitness, love of nature, love of family, love of teaching, and pure love of life. Seriously. His is a story full of grace that needs to be told. I may take up this challenge one day. With help from the school, I was able to connect with Ron Dobson, now retired and still living in the area. As you may recall, Ron was the guidance counselor who took an interest in me and tried his best to help me through whatever it was I was going through. A few emails led to a lunch while I was in Canada one summer and we continue to stay in touch today. The lunch was important and very interesting for me from a perspective of story, of narrative, of how we frame the events of our lives. 
After I apologized to Ron for the decades past meeting no-show, he laughed and said, Robert, I sure hope you have not been worrying about this for 30-some years. I squirmed in my chair for a bit and lied. Of course not. He saw that I was lying and then said, Robert, you were a good kid. Smart kid. You simply were not wired to be sitting in a classroom. I was left speechless. His story. His narrative. His framing was not what I had imagined. It was nothing like I had assumed he felt about me. My truancy. Or the no-show for the session on sorting out the art of the no-show. That lunch with Ron was a pivot point, a lesson learned, a redirection on how to see, feel, and think about my life, my story, my own narrative. I learned that I have choices. I can choose how to frame my personal stories. Why do we worry so much? Life's events are what they are and everything is a learning opportunity, right? Are we not the aggregate of all of our life experiences? Recognizing that I am so grateful for my life as it is today, should I not be thankful for each and every experience along the way, the perceived good and the perceived bad? I suspect the answer to that question has different narratives based on whether or not we think we may have hurt somebody and need to make amends. Either way, I think it is safe to say that just because you have framed a particular event in a particular way, this does not mean that others have the same perception. As a wise man once said to me, Robert, two people can go into the same movie and walk out having watched a completely different story. Quick closing point. With the help of Ron and Rito High School, we were able to set up an annual bursary for graduates called the Ron Dobson and Mark Timpany Leadership Award. So, in the end, reflection on my personal no-show story allowed me and others to celebrate two teachers who truly make a difference. Last closing point. When my oldest daughter Emily was in the third grade, I bullied my way into her classroom and to her complete embarrassment, I read from Where the Red Fern Grows. Now, ten years later, she recalls the story with a smile as she reminds me that not only did I read the novel, but I did character voices and got choked up when I read a certain part of the story. This is the good stuff. Take time, friends. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I wonder what I do believe. There's little voices telling me I'm at discrepancy with reality and that bothers me but at the same time I can feel an unseen something and it's leading me and I would love to find that it's your hand in mine but I'm dumb and blind in a world that's misaligned so do you think you could stop by again and maybe clarify what it was you said what it was you meant it seems we all heard different things do you think you could drop in and run us through the plan again what you had in mind for those you left behind around here look around me Every day and I see lots of things that disagree With what's been told to me With such authority Since I It's perfect being me 
I moved to a new school this year, but fitting in was a challenge for me. So many groups to choose from. It was hard to decide who to be. I tried to be a comedian, humoring people as I spoke, but I had to explain the punchlines when no one laughed at my jokes. I tried to be a tough guy, asking little kids to step aside, but if I ran into a bully, I'd run away and hide. I tried to be a big, strong jock, excelling at every game, until I took a dodgeball to the head and walked away in pain. I tried to be a bad dude, standing around and acting cool. I showed up at my first party and didn't break a single rule. I tried to be a talented artist, creating beauty from thin air. My inspiration for a painting was a picture of my chair. I tried joining a rock band, playing guitar and singing songs, but I don't carry a tune so well, so I could never play along. Then I tried the drama club, acting on stage with lights and sound. The part I got had just one line, which I forgot when it came around. I tried to be the star student, 100% on every test, but after studying for my math class, my brain needed a rest. I tried being the teacher's pet. I brought an apple every day. With every question, I'd raise my hand, but never knew what to say. And I tried to be Miss Popular, good-looking and clever as can be, but my friends didn't get the message, because nobody noticed me. Then I tried something totally new, which worked out perfectly. I went to school with no big plans, other than just being me. Every day and I see lots of things that disagree With what's been told to me with such authority Since I was just a child who was taught to nod and smile The more I learn, the more confused I get The more I wish for simple speech But all I've got a parable, I'm kind of scared Hi friends and welcome back to the Drift and Hum podcast. I'm really excited about our interview and story that we have today with Dr. Mary June Wright from Chafee's Lock, Ontario. How are you, Dr. June? I'm just fine, Robert. Thank you so much for your time today. I've just been really excited about this interview because you did your doctoral thesis and your studies in the significance of using stories to improve or at least to better understand our lives and our circumstances. This really connects well with the Drift and Hum podcast series as we are trying to talk about stories that matter. So once again, thank you very much, Dr. June. And uh, I guess my first question for you is just tell us a little bit about yourself and how it ended up that when you did your PhD later in life, you ended up focusing on personal narrative and the importance of story and personal narrative in our lives. Partway through my career as a teacher, I took a sabbatical and went to Toronto University where I worked on a doctoral thesis. My research was telling the story of women, but the main female in my story was my mother. My mother was a teacher and I was a teacher. We were both mothers. We were both widowed young. We both had three children and our stories as we told them turned out to be some very similar and some very different. 
some wonderful memories to share and some very painful stories to relate. Your mother was your teacher in rural Ontario, correct? It was a two-room school and it was in Bethany, Ontario. And my mother was the senior teacher and there was also a junior teacher. So the senior classroom was from grade four to grade eight and I was in grade eight and We had just moved to the small town from Toronto, so it was a very different experience for me. And frankly, having my mother for a teacher was not very pleasant. So you had your mother raising you and teaching you at home in non-school hours, and then you had your mother teaching you as a teacher in the two-room schoolhouse during school hours. So you mentioned that wasn't very pleasant. As you were doing your PhD, you actually talked about these things. And in reading your thesis, I got the feeling that you and your mother had never talked about these things until you started doing your thesis and engaged your mother in the work to get the personal narrative. So we told our stories different ways. We wrote letters. We talked on the phone. We just talked. We went on a holiday once together to Florida and we talked and I wrote and I also recorded many of the conversations. And from the recordings, I picked out different family stories. So there were two parts to our conversations. Some of them were the personal stories that happened in our family life and others were the personal stories of how we felt about our teaching and our style of teaching and our approach to children in the classroom. And was it easy for you to have these conversations together and write these letters? How did that go? Uh, Well, some of it was very difficult. Stories that I remembered from being a teenager were very different from what she remembered as being the mother of a teenager. I always felt that I got no praise or appreciation I had come from a city school where the academics had been more stringent and I got higher marks often than the other three students in the grade 8 classroom, but my mother was very nervous about ever giving me any praise because she didn't want the other students to think that I was getting special treatment. Of course, they thought I was anyway, but from my point of view, I felt I was hard done by by comparison to everyone else. And then years later, you actually end up becoming a teacher yourself, uh, not early in life. What was the story behind you ending up in the classroom as a teacher? I did not plan to be a teacher, but when I was widowed in my 30s with three children, teaching seemed to be the best profession. So I went back to school to be a teacher, and a friend moved into my house and lived with my three kids, and she brought her child and their dog, and I went to the Faculty of Education in North Bay and got my Bachelor in Education. Very good. And then when you ended up in the classroom, how did the memories of your own mother being your teacher come through? I taught for about 10 years, and of course, because there was a generational gap, and by then my mother was retired, our teaching styles were very different. She believed that children needed to sit down and be quiet and listen, and I believed that we all needed to have a conversation and children should be encouraged to talk and to share their stories. And we had some very strong conversations from time to time about that, where she would say to me, well, how will they learn anything if they don't sit down and listen? So several times she visited me in the classroom and 
I listened to and recorded stories. And we went back and forth. And then the research that I had, the tape recordings, uh, I used them to tell and retell these stories as I was writing them and as they slowly became my thesis. When you ended up doing your thesis and working so closely with your mother in the work, did either of you, because this was about personal narrative and really trying to understand the other person's position, which I believe is one of the most powerful things of being committed to personal narrative, did either of you start to see stories and past and historical events differently? Well, we certainly learned through her listening to my story and then retelling it back to me, what she heard, and then me retelling it back to her saying, well, that's not quite how it was. Our stories were massaged and they changed and they became more comfortable. And to a large extent, they became much more honest. Was that honesty easy to come to? Well, some of it was fabulous because it was wonderful experience that we just clicked and said, oh, wow, I remember that. That was so nice. But other stories were extremely uh, painful and difficult to discuss. We had both been widowed young. We both had children that went through teenage years. We had different ideas about how to parent, similar to our different ideas about how to discipline or not discipline in a classroom. And there was a tremendous amount of conflict in some of those areas. You know, it's not everybody that gets the opportunity to do PhD level research and to use their own story and stories with their own parents in order to do that. And so recognizing that this was actually research that you were doing, how could this research apply to the listeners of our podcast and to actually help them to maybe uncover their own narrative or see their lives a little differently? Well, I think as we tell and we tell our stories that we massage them and begin to see them in a different way. If you take any story and uh, that you're telling to someone and then you retell the story from a different point of view, for example, supposing you have a favorite story that's very precious to you, but you decide to retell that story wearing, say, a policeman's hat or wearing a clerical collar, or wearing a grandmother's kerchief. The story of what happens to a young girl in the family from the grandmother is going to be very different from the story that a police officer might tell if there had been an incident involving something in the community that was difficult for the whole family to process. Your mother is no longer... Uh, with us anymore and was with you for a few years after your research paper was done. Would you say that the fact that you and your mother worked so closely on this together, sharing your narratives and historical relationships, that it made the the last years you had together different in, in a positive way? Well, one never knows what it would have been like if you hadn't have had that conversation. But once you've had a certain conversation and you've learned something, you know it forever. And no matter how hard you might try, you can never unknow that. So I would say that we had our issues were solved and resolved. And as far as I was concerned, I never would have 
criticized or complained to my mother about things anymore because I knew where she was coming from. I understood that. And she probably still mothered me. But from my point of view, I had matured and it was okay if she mothered me. I didn't mind anymore. And you have a daughter of your own who is now in her 50s. And so how did this work that you did with your mother transfer to your relationship with your own daughter? Uh, recognize I don't think you actually taught your own daughter in a classroom setting, correct? No, I didn't. Although I did supply teach in my son's classroom at one point, which was probably very awkward for both of us. But I can tell you one thing that my mother said to me one day when we had been through some very difficult conversations about decisions that had been made in our family. And she was in tears and she said to me, I hope one day that your daughter grows up and puts you through this and asks you these hard questions and criticizes how decisions that you made so you will be able to find out what it feels like. Now, I have not had that exact situation, but I think many times my children are probably reasonably honest in a careful kind of way. Before the podcast, you told me that the only person you can change is yourself. And I got the distinct feeling that this was coming from the work that you did for your PhD. So tell me a little bit about that particular statement. So in terms of the educational value, as we told and retold our stories about teaching in classrooms, we were able to see the better more improved ways of teaching. And in terms of our personal stories, as we told and retold them and understood them in a different way, moving forward and making decisions became easier. We understood more about the story because we had looked at it in different ways from different directions. And in that way, I would change. I learned that you can never change the other person. Sometimes if you're lucky and you change yourself, other people will change around you. But your goal always needs to be tell your story to yourself in a different way and you can change your view and you can change how you make your decisions so that they will be better for you. Dr. June, I think that those are some words of wisdom and a great, great place for us to end our broadcast today. And I want to thank you so much for coming here to tell your story and your narrative um, of your work with your mother. I'm sure it was extremely rewarding. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. Thank you for the invitation. Look around me every day and I see lots of things that disagree With what's been told to me with such authority Since I was just a child who was taught to not and smile The more I learn, the more confused I get The more I wish for simple speech But all I've got are parables I'm kind of scared of those You're probably tired of me, but you're a mystery well, folks, we've come to the end of our podcast today. Thank you so much for your time. A big thanks to Mary June Wright for her incredible story about the importance of narrative and story in our lives. As well, the beautiful song that we listened to was by Jill Zimmerman. You can learn more about Jill at jillzimmermanmusic.com. As well, for today, a big shout out to the late Mark Timpany and also Ron Dobson, two teachers that made a big difference and continue to make a big difference in people's lives. 
These stories truly are the good stuff. These are the stories that are important. Until we talk again, friends, make sure you take time. Take some time to drift and hum.